And isn't it wonderful to feel the presence of God amongst us? When Helen and I were living in Azerbaijan, we, we went to a dentist who was an, an Azeri dentist. And we, we shared the gospel with him. And he, Azerbaijan was a sort of secular Muslim country. And this guy decided that he would come to our farewell. And he was in that service. And it, we had this amazing worship time. And this guy absolutely loved music. And music in anywhere in sort of Europe, Central Asia is quite spectacular. And I went up to him after the service and I said, how did you enjoy the service? He said, I have never heard music like it. He said, those sounds, they just started uh, amongst the worship team in the congregation and they just went on up through the roof right up to heaven. And uh, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey, but if you're seeking truth and you can feel God's presence among us this morning, then my prayer is that he will speak to you today, that we're all on a journey. We all have a destination. Some of us wonder what happens when this life ends. Others have an assurance in our heart that when this life ends, the real life begins. I hope that uh, you're enjoying your holiday season here in Topol. Isn't it wonderful to be able to catch up with friends and relatives? One of the great things about living in this town is that there's always people passing through and they're always wanting to pop in and say hello and share a meal together. But you know, sharing a meal is becoming a lot more complicated these days, isn't it? In the old days, you could just dish up anything and people would eat it. But now you've got vegetarians You've got vegans. You've got people that are gluten-free. And, you know, we used to cater for the vegetarians just by having a nice sort of veg vegetarian quiche. But nowadays, you can't even have eggs. You can't even have bread. You can't have cheese. And uh, next Saturday, our oldest daughter is getting married in Auckland. And so we're in the process of planning a wedding. But even when it comes to a wedding reception, you've got to cater for all these different tastes and food requirements, and it gets very complicated. When we lived in Azerbaijan, bread was the staple food in that community. And I just want to show you an, a, a picture of an Azeri bread oven. So on the left there, this is how they would bake bread. They would have this sort of pit and they would get the dough and they'd stick it to the side of um, the oven and it would turn out into a, a loaf like that. And it was delicious. And we actually lived on the sixth floor of a 12-storey apartment building and underneath us was a supermarket. And this supermarket would bake fresh bread twice a day. And the smell of those, that freshly baked bread would come wafting up to us. And so we'd go downstairs and we'd get a loaf of hot bread for 30 cents. And if you used the older bread that was only half a day old but wasn't hot, you could buy those loaves for just 
20 cents. And in that country, oh, the other interesting thing about it was that, um, oh, that um, the, uh, you could, where, where they made that bread, they would have the dough and they'd sort of, they'd roll it into little balls. And if you decided that you wanted a pizza, you could go and get the dough for 20 cents. And, but we didn't understand the Azeri language. We didn't understand Russian. And no one over there understood English. But the name for the dough was Khmer. So we'd go into this bread shop, and it was usually a community centre where a lot of women were gathering, sort of baking this bread. And you'd say, Salam Najasis, which is, hello, how are you? And then you'd point to the dough and you'd say, come here. And it was just as well that they didn't understand English because they might have, been, they might have thought I was inviting them out on a date or something. <laughs> and so in this country, everyone was well fed. There was plenty of bread and pizza. But you know, there was no waste in that country. And so if you, or people bought their bread fresh every day because it was so cheap. But if you didn't eat all your bread, you would hang it from a dumpster. And so here's a dumpster, and there's a bag hanging from it. But what was hung from the outside of the dumpster was usually food that was good to eat. And sometimes people would celebrate by baking a cake or something, but then people didn't want to eat the rest of that fattening food, so they'd put a whole cake out there on the rubbish bin, and some homeless person would come along and pick it up, and that would be his dinner that night. As you can see, the bakeries were quite common, and there were some really beautiful buns and all sorts of breads available to us. But it's very interesting to see how different cultures look after the poor and the needy. And in this country, there was a lot of gas. And so in winter, when it got very cold, people had gas central heating. And so a lot of homeless people would go into the sort of furnace part of an apartment complex where the, the heating uh, machines took place to pump the warm air around the apartment and they could sleep on the floor of uh, the boiler room for the night so that they would be warm even on a cold night but they would also have access to this free bread that was available. There was also quite a lot of problems with cheap Russian vodka over there and so there were homeless people that were living rough, as there are in New Zealand as well. Here at Topol Baptist Church, if you're a visitor, we run a community meal every Monday night. And we invite people from our community to come and have a free meal. And quite a few of the businesses in town, the, the cafes and restaurants, supermarkets, they donate us food. And we've got a team that put together a delicious, nutritious meal every Monday night for about 60 to 70 people. And it's our privilege to be able to serve those people in that way. There's a first course and there's 
dessert. But we give them a third course as well, which is a five-minute devotion every week. So once they've got their first course, we get a different person most weeks, or someone might do it for a month, who shares a testimony or shares the gospel or tells a story, an illustration that will communicate the gospel to those people. And one thing that we're planning on doing this year is on a Sunday night every second week we have a meeting called Revive. And it's for people that are hungry for more, that want to really know the Lord in greater measure. And one of the things that we're planning on doing during our Revive time this year is training people to share their testimony and to share the gospel. And so what may happen is every Sunday morning we may get a different person to share their testimony just after the notices. It's a good opportunity to get to know each other better, but for us to hone our skills in sharing the gospel. And the people that do the best job in the church, they can also speak at the meal. But it's not always that easy to speak at a meal where you've got people who haven't come to worship God. They've come because they want the food, but to have a gift of communication where you can connect with people like that and they listen to what you've got to say is really good to observe. And that's another way that we can train our people to be more comfortable in sharing their faith. There's a story in the Bible about a man who put on a banquet for the people in his community. And I want to read it to you. It's found in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 24. So it says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited. He said, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married, so I can't come. The the servant came back and reported this to his master. Next slide. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. So in this story, the master invited his wealthy friends to a banquet. Yet when dinner time came around, no one showed up. When the servants looked down the road, no one was coming. Everything was spread on the table, yet no one showed up. How would you feel if you were putting on that meal? Wouldn't you feel rejected and think that your guests didn't even care about you? 
And so the master sent out a servant to remind the guests that everything was ready. It was the last call. Dinner is ready. Why haven't you come? But in verses 18 to 20, they all began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a piece of land and need to go and see it. Please excuse me. I'm not coming. Now, this person may have been a land speculator. Maybe he'd bought the land without even seeing it. Or maybe he had just bought a plot of land on which to build a house for his family. Now, there's nothing wrong with playing the property market or building a house. But he put aside the invitation for intimacy with the master to focus on his own interests. The fact was, though, that the land was going nowhere. He could have gone and checked out his land the next day. The second invited guest speculated in cattle. He told the servant in verse 19, I've brought five yoke of oxen, and I've got to test them. Please excuse me. It appears he'd seen the ten oxen before buying them. But now he had to test them to see if he'd gotten a good deal. But again, he acted as if going to the barn was more important than going to God's house. The oxen could have been tested the next day, but he couldn't wait. Instead, he made the master wait. The last invited guest said in verse 20, I've married a wife and I cannot come. Now, getting married is not the issue. This man put his family first. The Lord says devotion to family is good in its time and place, but not when it takes my place. This man could have brought his wife to the banquet. What a good way to start a new marriage. He could have said, Honey, the Lord's always been number one in my life. His interests take priority. So let's make his interests our priority now. Do you have an excuse for turning down God's invitation to banquet and sup and have intimacy with God. When we lived in Brunei, our two daughters were very good friends with, the oldest daughter was friends with the Sultan of Brunei's daughter and used to go and play at the palace. Our other daughter was friends with the Sultan's niece, Princess Samantha. And she would go to Prince Geoffrey's palace and play with Samantha. But sometimes my, our daughter, Jessica, had organised what she was going to be doing on the Saturday with her other friend. But then she'd get a phone call from the palace saying, come and play with Samantha at the palace. The royal limousine can pick you up at such and such a time. And so Jessica was very keen to quickly drop her best friend 
to go and play with the princess because she knew if she turned down the princess, someone else would get invited and she wanted to be best friends with the princess. So the rich man said, go out into the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. He showed special concern for the poor, the needy, and the outcasts. They all came, and they had a wonderful celebration. You know, Jesus' invitation is to everybody. In Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. God created us to have friendship and relationship with him. We've all been invited to a banquet at the palace. We've been urged to come into the presence of God, to eat with him and to get to know him. He says, come and find a table that I've spread for you. All things are now ready. You will find full satisfaction in me. Jesus has accomplished everything necessary to give each of us a full and meaningful life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He invites each one of us to be a part of his own family, to be his sons and his daughters. In Jeremiah 29 verse 13 it says, If you want to know me, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you don't know God, I've got a little tract that I think puts the gospel very, very simply and clearly. In fact, the last song that we sung spells out that gospel message. Some of you are listening to that song and you're thinking, oh, I don't know if I believe in God, I don't know if this is true. But you look around and you see God's awesome creation and deep down you know that there's got to be a God. And that God is calling you. He wants a relationship with you. If you want a copy of that little booklet, you can have a chat to me after the service. There's a theologian and pastor called Martin Thornton and he has identified three different groups, distinctly different groups in society and it's to do with their relationship with God and their desire to know God. The first group is the committed. These people are devoted and faithful. They're the people that do the bulk of ministry in the church. They operate in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than out of a sense of duty and obligation. 
Then there's the church attender. These are people that attend more out of obligation uh, and tradition, but they're not very committed. They're people who consume rather than contribute. They're more spectators than participants. And then there's those people who have very little interest in God or the things of God. We can each put ourselves in one of those three categories. Which category would you put yourself in at the moment? What are your plans with regard to your relationship with God for the year ahead? You know, Western culture is going through a season when people are turning away from God. And we're seeing more and more problems in society that are a result of that. Thankfully, this is a growing church. And I really appreciate the faithful people that serve regularly in all sorts of ways in this church. There's people here this morning from other churches, other communities around the country. And you know that a church can often be renewed by the life of a small, dedicated group within a church. Their committed hearts can send life-giving blood into the rest of the body. God's presence always leads us to humility, a desire to serve, and unity. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what I'm doing this morning. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, some but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day of God's coming drawing near. And so I would like to challenge you this morning to determine to make Sunday morning worship one of your default settings for the year ahead. It's a bit like the spokes in a wheel. We all represent a spoke in a wheel. There's a hub. God is the hub. Are you out near the rim or are you getting closer and closer to the hub? Because as we move closer to the hub as a congregation, we actually move closer together in unity and in confidentiality and sharing and intimacy. But we're also moving closer to the Lord. It's really important that each one of you determine to move closer to the centre, closer to God this year. Wouldn't it be amazing if we're all on that journey? We're seeking after God. We're getting to know God in new and wonderful ways. But through that process, we're also growing closer together as a family of believers. And so instead of asking yourself each Sunday morning, will I go to church today? Determine to make it a priority. Say, Every Sunday on which I am able, I determine to come 
on a Sunday morning to meet with God, to fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, one of the problems in the world today is a lack of self-discipline. People are just so easygoing. They don't commit to anything. And to really move forward in anything, you need to make that commitment. You need to say, Lord, I want to know you better. I want to understand your ways more and more. So be committed and allow the Lord to empower you and use you during this exciting year that lies before us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are all on a journey. And sometimes we wander down a false trail. We think we're chasing something important, but then we come to a dead end. Lord, help us to want to move closer to you today, to be one of those spokes where we're moving towards the core. We know that if we know you and love you, we will be spending eternity with you. We want to know you. We want to have relationship with you. We want to hear your voice. We want your uh, presence in our lives and your guidance for our future. Bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name, amen.